You know, all along there have been those who have said that the grave wasn't empty, that there wasn't a resurrection. And some of them have said that the uh, disciples, the apostles, and the women just simply went to the wrong tomb. But that doesn't make any sense because the Roman authorities had put soldiers at the right tomb. They knew what the right tomb was. And if that was the case, they would have just taken the body and shown it publicly and end of story. Others have said that um, the apostles stole the body. And the reason in the text it says that the grave clothes were lying there and the head cloth was lying right where it had been was to indicate that if someone stole the body, they wouldn't unwrap it first. I mean, when you're stealing something, it's in and out, you know, quick as you can, nobody gets hurt, that sort of thing, you know? And so the fact that the grave clothes were lying there and the head cloth was used to tie the deceased person's chin up so their mouth didn't gape open. And, and so that's why it was lying separately. And so uh, it be, all of that, besides all of that, the apostles, they say, did that so that they could then go out and start a world-changing movement. But have you read the Gospels? <laughs> These were not the, like the world-changing type of guys, were they? And so the, the other, one of the other arguments is that this whole story was added sometime later once the movement was going, just to kind of bolster the, and, and support the whole story. But uh, the record would indicate that from the very beginning, the resurrection was part of the faith. It wasn't something that was added later. And besides, if there had been no resurrection, there would have been no movement to add the story too. You see, there have been other uh, messiahs. There have been several in the previous hundred years that came claiming to be messiah that would attract hundreds of followers at times. And what happened in every case was when that messiah was killed, which they always inevitably were killed by the Romans or, or uh, the Jewish forces, when they were killed, their, their followers scattered. They didn't stay. They didn't say, well, let's just stay. Let's try to start something in his name. They didn't do that because that's not human nature. And, and so the whole idea that, uh, that the, the resurrection was not really part of things or that it was added or that it just never happened, simple truth is the resurrection was there from the very beginning, part of the message. N.T. Wright says this, he says, there's no evidence for a form of early Christianity in which the resurrection was not a central belief. Nor was this belief, as it were, bolted onto Christianity at the edge, as if it had been added later. It was the central driving force in forming the whole movement. You see this in Acts chapter 4, very early. Just, just weeks at the, or months at the most after the resurrection, in Acts chapter four, the apostles and the disciples are preaching and proclaiming the gospel and the Jewish leaders are just incensed with them. They wanna shut them up. And it says this, they were greatly, the Jewish leaders were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. 
Now, it's interesting the way they state it, and I'm going to explain to you why they state it that way later, but proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. What they're saying is, this resurrection of the dead we've been waiting for happened in Jesus. And so that happened very early, very early. So from the very beginning, the message of the resurrection was central to everything. And by the way, the New Testament textual evidence, there, there is more evidence supporting the New Testament texts than any other ancient document. And we don't, we're not my purpose to go into that right now, but just to say the texts of the New Testament are reliable historical documents. And so if the resurrection wasn't added, if it was the driving force, and then we need to ask ourselves if, if it impacts us today, how does it impact us today? And my contention would be that it was the driving force for the formation of the Christian movement, Christian faith, and it is still impacting and changing people's lives today. So to, to really to understand this, though, I, I want us to kind of get into the mindset of the apostles. I want us to try to grasp what they were thinking and what they were feeling. And, and to do that, you have to look at the days between the crucifixion and the resurrection. So the whole day of the crucifixion and right up through until the evening of the resurrection when they first actually, the, the apostles as a group actually saw Jesus. And to, to understand this, we have to understand they were in absolute shock at what had happened. I mean, they were devastated and not because they had lost a good friend, although they had, but not just because of that. They were devastated because what they're, they're the expectations they had for Jesus. They, there's no way they could conceive of a Messiah who ends up on a cross. And the Jewish mindset, the Jewish belief system as to what the Messiah would do when he came, one of the things he would do, well, he was going to be a prophet like Moses. Moses prophesied that. He said, God's going to raise up a prophet like me for you. And that was the Messiah. And so what did Moses do? Well, Moses was a religious leader, but he also, with God's power, defeated Egypt and freed the Jews from Egypt. And so they believed that when Messiah come, he'd do, he would do the same thing. He would be a religious leader, but a military leader as well. And he would somehow, just as Moses miraculously defeated Egypt, he would defeat Rome and free them from Rome that the Messiah would establish Israel as the central nation in the world, and Jerusalem, as the Old Testament prophesies, would become the praise of all the earth. Now, they didn't really fully grasp that concept, the praise of all the earth, which Isaiah, uh, which is a phrase from Isaiah. What that means is people from all over the world would be centering their faith on something that had happened in Jerusalem, that Jerusalem would be lifted up as the praise of the earth. And then the third thing was this, the Messiah would usher in the coming age. They believed that when Messiah came, the world would end as they knew it, and they would enter into the coming age, the new age. One of the ways that was described in the Old Testament was that every man beneath his vine and fig tree would live in peace and unafraid. And so there would be peace and prosperity and, 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 and really a new world entirely. And that new age would be introduced by a mass resurrection of all the righteous dead. And so that would mean that Noah would have come back. 
Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of them, all the righteous dead would be re-embodied. And when the Jews talked about resurrection, they weren't talking about resurrection spiritually. They were talking about resurrection as an act of re-embodiment. And so they expected a massive resurrection of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And when Jesus came, he did things that just, for the apostles at this moment in time, they had been believing all of these things and expecting all of these things. But I think what, what must have caused the greatest uh, mental strain to them was this, that so much of what Jesus did was messianic. He acted as if he had access to the new age. He healed the sick, the blind, the lame, the deaf. He cast out demons. He preached the gospel to the poor. In fact, when uh, John the Baptist came to send emissaries to Jesus and said, are you really the Messiah or are we waiting for someone else? The answer Jesus gave was, he said, well, tell them what you see. Tell him what you see. The sick, sick are healed. The uh, de- people are freed from demonic oppression and the dead are raised. Tell them that and he will know the answer because those were all new age type of things, messianic type of things that he did. And you add to that the character he had, just the fact that they, they knew him and that he was the smartest person they had ever known, that he was the kindest person they had ever known, that he spoke with such anointing with, with his words where came, there came the power of God, that he was courageous and bold. And probably they would say also he was the most honest person we have ever known and he claimed to be the Messiah. And so for those days, once they saw him flogged, and once they saw him taken to the cross, and for that period of time until they encountered him as resurrected Lord, their minds would have just been melting. You know, how could it be that this, that, that he claimed to be the Messiah, and there wasn't a shred of anything in his character that we could question? And everything else he did, how could it end up on the cross? How could it be that that would be the case? So the idea that they, in that state of mind, would have had the wisdom or the courage or just the understanding to do something, to make something up so that they could start some new thing, they just weren't the kind of guys that would do that. In fact, I don't think anybody would. I mean, when you have a friend like that who died, what do you do? Well, you honor them. You build a memorial to them. You visit that memorial. You go there with friends, and you talk, and you lament what could have been. Isn't it too bad he died so young, or she died before her time? That's what you do, but you don't make up stories about the person that could literally get you killed. You just don't do that. And so something happened Something happened that changed everything for them. And what happened was what we already know, what we've already been talking about. And uh, the, the, it's important to recognize that at the cross, John was the only one that stayed. The rest of them ran. The rest of them fled. Even, even Peter, who swore he would defend Jesus to the death, and he really did back that up when he pulled the sword out and tried to cut off uh, Malchus's tried to cut his head off, he missed and took his ear off. 
He really did back that up, but that wasn't the kind of sacrifice Jesus was looking for. He wasn't looking for Peter to pick up a sword. He was looking for Peter to lay his life down in the sense of living for him, and which Peter will understand very soon. But, but they all feared, and the day of the resurrection, three days later, they're all in a room with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. And so even though some of the women have said they've seen Jesus, and even uh, Peter and John said they saw the empty tomb, they're still, you know, they're, they're just not believing it. They're, they're, they, they can't conceive of it actually happening. And I think they probably all would have been very much like Thomas. You know, we, 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 we give Thomas a bad rap because he didn't believe, but I doubt that any of them would have believed without this next thing happening that happened. And here's what happened. As two of, their, two of the, two of the uh, disciples were sharing their story of having met Jesus on the Emmaus Road and having talked with him, and, and we knew he was special, this guy, but we couldn't, didn't know who he was. And then when, we, when he broke bread, we recognized it was Jesus. And then he disappeared, just vanished right, right into thin air. And they're telling this story. At that moment in John 20, verses 19 and 20, we read this. It says, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. And disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And so he shows up right in the middle, right there, right in, in, in this bolted down room, which means somehow in that resurrection body he had. And listen, there's a difference between being raised from the dead, like Lazarus was raised from the dead. But he was raised, he was brought back. He was resuscitated in a respect because he eventually died again. When you are resurrected from the dead, you get a new body. You get a new type of body, a body that can disguise itself, when Jesus talked to these two on the Emmaus Road, a body that can disappear from one spot and instantly appear somewhere else, a body at the same time that has flesh and bones because Jesus said, look, he said, touch me, it's me. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. And so a real body, but we're gonna see this later, but it is a body from the new age. It's a new age type of body. That's what resurrection brings about. And so Jesus has this new age type of body now. And the, the apostles now have seen him. And so Rome hadn't been defeated. Jerusalem had not been in, in, lifted up to the central uh, nation in the world. And there was no mass of resurrection of the dead and they couldn't really see any New Age blessings anywhere except for this. There had been one resurrection. They were expecting a mass resurrection. There had been one resurrection, one massively powerful resurrection, which makes all the difference for all of us. One resurrection, which somehow they began to grasp that this was somehow attached to the new age coming, the future age coming back into our age through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it says this of them in Luke 24, 45, that Jesus, Jesus did this. I mean, they're still befuddled. 
They're still, they can't conceive of how could this happen? What, what does this mean? Where, where are the rest of them? Did you leave Moses and everybody else out in the desert or what? I mean, they're, they're trying to figure this all out because they're expecting hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people to be resurrected from the dead at this moment. Ezekiel, God promises them in Ezekiel. He said, you'll know this is all true when I bring you out of your graves. And so it was prophesied in the Old Testament. But now they're wondering, what is this? And then in Luke 24, 40, 25, 24, 25, it says this. Then he, Jesus, opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And I think at that moment, there are just like little explosions happening in their brains because they're, they're beginning to understand, they're beginning to see, but not fully. You know, it took another 40 days of teaching because Jesus, between, between the time of his resurrection and the time of his ascension, Acts 1 tells us he taught them the things of the kingdom. And so it took them all that time to understand this and begin to grasp what had really occurred and what had really happened, and that there will be a mass resurrection one day. The Bible teaches that. There will be a mass resurrection where every righteous person, the righteous dead, those who have had faith in God, who have died, will receive new bodies. And they will be bodies just like Jesus' but resurrection body. And we're going to look at, the, I'll, I'll show you some of the details of that uh, later. And so th- this is going to happen, but their, their minds are now being, being expanded. And I think one thing that happened when he, when he uh, gave them the ability to understand scripture was that their preconceived worldview crashed. It just melted, it crumbled. What they had believed were the operating systems that run this world and what they had to look forward to and where they fit into the world. All of that just crashed because it's, it's, it all has to be rebuilt. And that's what Jesus did in those 40 days of teaching to them about the kingdom. He, he helped them develop a totally new worldview. So Gamaliel in Acts 5, 38 and 39 made this statement. And Gamaliel was a great teacher in, uh, in the early, um, uh, in the first century and around the time of Jesus. He was the one that taught the apostle Paul. And the, the Jews um, have a couple of the apostles that they've arrested and they're trying to figure out what to do with them. And so here's what Gamaliel does. He stands up and he, and he, and he says this. First, he said this. He said, we all know there have been other false messiahs who have come. He won't say the Messiah. He mentioned somebody and says their name, and they said they were something, but he won't, he won't call them Messiah. But then he says this, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fall or it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You only find yourselves fighting against God. And so they left, they, let, they uh, let them go. I think they beat them first, but uh, the truth of the matter is God was in it. It wasn't he, it was from God and it did go on and it's still going on today. And the center of it all is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the challenge of the resurrection is for you and for me to examine our view of life and ask the question, is the resurrection, is the resurrected Christ really the center 
of my life? Is he really the center of my life? Am I basing everything on knowing him and serving him and being part of what he wants to do in the world? Now, the impact of the resurrection for us today because it extends to us today. And the first thing is this, we get new access to God. We get new access to God. Uh, Romans 4, uh, and 20, verse 25 through 5, 1 says this. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life because of our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is the best translation. A lot of them don't translate it this way. A lot of them translate it, he was, he was raised for our justification. But the best translation is he was raised because of our justification. In other words, because of justification happening through the cross and the death of Christ, this is where death couldn't hold him any longer because sin had been paid for. And because it had been paid for, he didn't have to stay dead. He could come back because of our justification. He took our sin on himself. If he hadn't fully paid for it, he would still be dead and still paying for it. But because we were justified, death could not hold him, the book of Acts says. And so he was raised from the dead, and that proves that we are justified. It's kind of like this, that the cross paid for our sin. The resurrection is like the receipt that says, paid in full. It's the validation that the payment was sufficient. And in 2 Corinthians 5, th that chapter, uh, the apostle Paul says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself by not counting their sins against them. And so this is saying that Jesus died for the sins of the world, and in that act, God's heart was reconciled to humanity. And so it goes on to say, the question is, will we be reconciled to God? The thing that was separating us from God, God took care of. And he says, okay, all you have to do is turn to me. Because, you know, I've taken a massive step towards you. I've taken care of the sin. There's no barrier between us now. But if you, if you turn away from me, then we still have no relationship. You have to decide now, can you reconcile yourself to who I am? Can, can, can you give up any anger you have towards me? Can you give up any disappointments that you have that you lay at my feet? Can you give up any of the questions you have about who I really am? Keep, give those all up and just turn to me. See, we have to make that choice to reconcile ourselves in our own hearts towards God and turn to him. And when we do that, then we enter into this, this new access to God where we can know God, we can be with Jesus, we can walk with Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Second thing is this, we get new hearts like Jesus kind of like Jesus' hearts. We get Jesus' hearts when we put faith in him and, and we receive him into our lives. What comes with that is his heart. My heart is changed. And it's the power of the resurrection that changes the heart of man. And so you read here in Ezekiel 36, promise from the Old Testament, I will give you a new heart 
and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart, hard heart and give you a living heart. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is what Jesus was talking about in John 3 when he said you have to be born again. You have to receive that new heart that God gives to us. You have to allow him to take out the dead heart and give us a living heart, the hard heart for a living heart. And when we get that living heart, he imprints his life on us. And the, 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 obeying him then is just part of our nature because we trust him and because we know that he doesn't ask us to do anything that is not really uh, for our best. I mean, the whole, the whole thing of scripture telling us how to live, how to relate to other people, you know, what morality is, that's all, it's not like God made those rules up. That's just how we were created. It's just, it's, it's just that's, that's how we were created to function, by being truthful with each other, by, by loving each other, by serving. That, that, all of his, all of his uh, commands in the Bible are just describing how we were designed to function. So the New Testament affirms this new heart in um, Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. Apostle Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you might know, and get this, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, you get a new nature and you get this resurrection power that actually lives inside you through the presence and life of the Holy Spirit. So you get a new heart that can contain the Holy Spirit that he can live in, and you get the Holy Spirit who is the one, the scripture says, raised Jesus from the dead. In fact, all three members of the Trinity are, are, uh, were involved in the resurrection from the dead of Christ, resurrection of Christ. And so in, in this, we see this massive power that it took to bring Jesus back from the dead. And just from a human perspective, just to understand some of the things that happened to Jesus. In Gethsemane, when he sweat the drops of blood, you know, nobody then would have had any idea what was happening. But today we understand that when a person is under extreme, extreme stress and anxiety, there's a chemical that is released that breaks the capillaries around the surface of your skin. And so those capillaries are breaking and bleeding into the sweat glands and coming out through the sweat glands. And that, that would have happened all, all over his whole body. Now what that does is it makes your skin extremely sensitive and fragile. It does something to the skin to, to make it tear easier, to make it uh, bruise easier. And so when Jesus was flogged the next day, when he was um, scourged, what they would do is they would have a, a number of leather uh, strips coming out with metal bits and glass and stones attached to the end of them. And it would literally rip the person apart to be scourged. Many people didn't survive the scourging. Many people escaped crucifixion by dying during the scourging. And it, 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 it ripped not just skin, but one author uh, who had, had studied the, the historical nature of this said that it would rip muscle. And th there, would be, there would be pieces of muscle hanging off the person's body. 
and it would, it would rip their intestines open and their stomach, and it would have been horrific. What happened in that, because of Jesus' skin sensitivity, it would have been all the worse for him. And he, he lost so much blood that he went into a, a state of shock that caused his heart to start beating faster. And his heart's beating to try to make up for the lack of blood. What that does is that pumps fluid into the cardiac sac, pericardium, and fills it with fluid, as well as the lungs. So that when the, uh, when, when the soldier pierced Jesus' side, he very likely pierced right through a lung into his heart. And according to John, he had no idea, nobody had any idea about any of this at that time. Water and blood came out. And John recorded that, not knowing what it meant, but just, he was just recording what he saw, which is one of the, one of the things that validates the record, is he was just recording, he recorded things he didn't even understand. And so all of that, then the crucifixion itself, all of that, that, that scourging, then the crucifixion itself, and that was the body they put in the grave. I mean, if anybody had stolen that body and taken it out of the grave, a normal human being just wouldn't survive. I mean, how could you survive that with infection and everything else? But because of the incredible power that God has, he brought Jesus out of that grave whole and alive and in complete good health, not only with a healthy body like we have today, but with a resurrection body, a new age type of body. And the only marks from his suffering were on his hands and his feet and his side. To rep to, so, so that we would always remember the sacrifice that he made for us. But it was that type of power that we have living inside of us so that we can become like Jesus. And then we get new purpose with the Holy Spirit. In John 20, 21, Jesus, it says again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You know, the first thing he said, uh, the first uh, disciples he called, you know, remember what he said to them? Follow me and I'll do what? I'll make you fishers of men. And so now, here, he's, in his resurrection, in the first encounter with the apostles, he's reminding them of that. And as Wilson uh, gave a great message last week, his last words, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. We get to do that. We get to be part of that. We do the stuff Jesus did now. And in, in our discipling of this church body, as we enter into this new era, we, we want to uh, we want to help people see how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in doing this so that we're all not like, like one friend of mine once said, um, that's describing another friend, he said, he's kind of like a blind dog in a meat market. You know, he just tears into everything he sees. We don't want to be that way in our, in our loving other people who don't yet know Jesus. We want to know how to follow the Holy Spirit in that. And, and that's, that's what Jesus is talking about here with this, this call uh, to being sent just as he was sent. So listen to this. They believed that the coming age 
that this coming age would come with the Messiah. They didn't quite get the idea that the disciples would be part of it. But Abraham was told, I'm gonna bless you so you can bless the rest of the world. And that's why, that's why Jesus is giving them this commission now to carry the gospel just like he came, to carry the gospel to the lost. But listen to this, instead of a mass resurrection of all the righteous dead, to usher in the coming age and to seal the fate of all the living because that's what it would have done. When the coming age comes, then all the living who don't believe, that that would have been the end for them. But instead of that, there was one resurrection that was massively powerful to offer the life of the coming age to all the living. And then Jesus says, now you take that and you go with that, you run with that because I was sent into the world to do this, now you're being sent to do the same thing. Now the fourth thing too is this, that there is a, com there is a new hope, a new hope for a coming age. We're gonna be part of that coming age. If you've accepted Christ, then you are gonna be part of the coming age. And in that coming age, we get new bodies. And the main thing that holds us down right now is that our bodies are not yet glorified. You know, our hearts were new inside, our hearts are, were changed, but our bodies are not yet glorified. But Romans tells us this in Romans 8, 11, he says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And again, in Romans 8, 23, uh, he says, not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, in, in being changed, having the Holy Spirit live in us, the first fruits of the Spirit. And when he says that, he's talking about the Spirit in the sense of the coming age, the first fruits of this coming age. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. And if you ever groaned, just said, oh God, why, why do I do this over and over again? Why can't I get control of this part of my mind or, or this habit or this thing in my life? We groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, which is the redemption of our bodies. And in that day, we will receive new bodies. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 talks about what those bodies will look like. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 and four to 44 he says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. These bodies are gonna die. It's raised an imperishable body. They're gonna be eternal. They won't die. They'll, they'll, there, there won't be any aging. There won't be any sickness. There won't be any injuries. He goes on to say, it's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. That means it's gonna be beautiful. It's gonna, it's gonna have the glory of God about it. It's gonna be beautiful and perfect. Then he says it's, it's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. I'm not sure why we'll need power then, but uh, whatever it is, this is just for the baby boomers in the room. We're, we're gonna be faster than a speeding bullet and stronger than a locomotive, okay? For those of you that don't get that, Superman, that was the Superman show back in the 50s and 60s. That's what Superman was. We're gonna have power and then he says it's, raised a it's, it's sown a natural body, it will be raised a spiritual body. Spiritual doesn't mean ghostly, it doesn't mean ethereal. It means a body that is fully in line with the Spirit of God. 
You know, right now my body's not fully in line with the Spirit of God. It drags me down. But then it's going to be fully in line with the Spirit of God. And this is all to say, we're not going to be ghostly creatures. In, 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 like in heaven, we kind of picture like, well, you're going to be an angel, a spiritual being that just kind of floats around. No, we're going to have bodies that are designed for eternity. That's God's intent. In fact, he's going to change all of creation. And he's going to change the very essence of creation so that it will fit into the new age life. And you and I will get new bodies. And Paul tells us that if you're alive when this happens, what's going to happen is you're going to, we're going to see the dead rise first. So you want to be near a graves, graveyard when this happens. The dead are coming out of the graves. They're going to come out with bodies like we just described, with a body just like Jesus had. And then as soon as that happens, we're all going to be changed, instantly changed. And as I've said before, some people are going to lose 100 pounds just, you know, just like that. Other people are going to grow a full head of hair just like that. I mean, teeth are going to be replaced. But, but we're gonna, it's not going to be just a renovation of this body. It's going to be changing this body like Jesus' body was changed so that he could disappear. He had the ability to, apparently to walk through walls, yet at the same time he could eat food, he could communicate, he could be touched. And they're bodies that are going to be fit for the coming age. Now, this is all uh, God's work in us. And it's all based upon the resurrection of the dead. And it, the call is for us to center our lives around this resurrection of the dead, this king who has been resurrected from the dead. The apostle Paul told Timothy, he said in Timothy, is, he's encouraging Timothy to endure the hardship of actually being sent, of actually fulfilling his mission. And he said, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David. Just those two phrases, risen from the dead, resurrected, descendant of David, king. Jesus is the resurrected king. He is the resurrected king, and the call is is he really the center of my life? That's a call to believers. The call to those who haven't yet put faith in him is, do I want to follow someone like this resurrected king? Do I want to engage with his mission for the world? Do, do I want to submit my life to him and, and walk with him and live with him? Do I want to hear this call even as I have been sent, I send you? Now, here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask, I'm just going to ask a few questions and ask you to stand up. For those of you that have received Christ already, anybody that accepted Christ just because you felt guilty, you were just dealing with guilt, and that brought you to a point that you received the resurrected Christ into your life, would you stand up? Okay, anybody else? Just, it was just guilt. I, you know, I'm not right. There's something wrong. Okay, keep standing. How about any that, any that came to Christ out of depression? You know, I was depressed and I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to turn and someone shared this with me and I opened my heart to Christ. Anybody? Okay, good. Anybody that came to Christ because of a broken relationship? You know, I, I, I thought this was gonna work out. This was the person I was gonna spend the rest of my life with and it didn't happen. Anybody? How about this? Um, you were abused and there was wounding in your heart and you were looking for healing and you turned to Jesus and you got healing. 
Anybody for that? How, how many people here? Okay, good, good. Thank you. How many people here just grew up in a Christian home? You just heard the gospel. You heard the truth. You saw godly parents and you just said, I want to be like them. Stand up, would you? Boy, that's wonderful. Look at that. That's awesome. How about this? Um, anybody here that was driven to succeed and you succeeded and it wasn't everything you thought it would be? Anybody? How about this? Um, well, saved out of addiction. Anybody? Okay, cool. All right, anybody else? For any other reason I haven't mentioned, but you know Jesus, stand up, okay? <laughs> okay, anybody that doesn't know Jesus, stand up. You want to, you want to stand up and I'm going to pray for you, okay? So if you've never, if you've never put your uh, faith in Jesus Christ as the resurrected king, you can do that right now. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And uh, as I pray, you just, you don't have to say these exact words, but just something like this, you, you say to God, you say, oh God, just say that, oh God, I come to you. Because I understand now that Jesus died for my sins. And I understand better what it means to say he was resurrected from the dead so I could live. So resurrected King Jesus, I invite you into my life. Come in, cleanse me, free me. Give me the new life that you offer in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that with us today, come on down to the front. The prayer teams, would you come down right now? Please, prayer teams, make your way down. And whatever, whatever issues you have, if you want prayer, if there's something in the message that uh, really clicked with you and you would like some prayer around that, or if you just accepted Christ, if you just said that prayer with me, come down and tell one of these, uh, one of these prayer teams and let them just say a short prayer of encouragement for you. But it's so good to see you here today. Uh, go and enjoy your Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. You'll say that next, okay? So I'm going to say he is risen, and you can all shout he is risen indeed, okay? He is risen. <laughs> <laughs>